With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 10. We have reached double digits here of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast on NJ.com. I'm Joe with me, of course, as we, we tend to try to do every week. We haven't been able to do it in a few weeks, but we're all back together. The band is back together. We have Jordan, we have Nick, and we have Minicamp coming up. This is a fun time. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, Jordan? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm happy. We can expect the ratings to rise. we got the return of Nick Powell from far, far away land. <laughs> How you doing, Nick? I'm good, man. I'm, it's good to be back. You know, nice little two-week break. Um, but you know, I, I could, just couldn't couldn't stay away. What, what could I say? He's done riding zebras or whatever he was doing out there. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, <laughs> I, I miss the Giants too much. What can I say? Even in the even in the <laughs> offseason, even on safari, you miss the Giants. But well, you came back for a good time because minicamp starts now. Three-day minicamp this week, and then everyone kind of goes on hiatus. Uh, until training camp in early August. So mini camp coming up. You guys will be out there. Uh, let's just talk as a broad sense on, you know, your feeling about this team going into mini camp. You know, where they're at from the offseason to now. A lot's probably going to change from now until opening kickoff. But your feeling about this football team right now as we head into mini camp. We'll start with Nick. You know, I mean, we've talked a lot, the, you know, at least the last time I was on, we talked a lot about, you know, the, the many questions surrounding this roster. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard to really say how many of those are going to get answered this early. Um, do we, you know, we, they haven't even been practicing in pads. The practices are mostly, you know, I mean, they're, they're, at, they're at practice full, you know, live practice speed, but you know, it's hard to really gauge who looks good, who doesn't look good. You kind of just read the tea leaves and, and kind of look at their rotations to see, you know, whether certain guys are in favor or not. So, you know, that it's hard to – I'm just saying this to kind of qualify that it's it's hard to kind of draw any, any broad sweeping conclusions yet. But, um, you know, the main thing right now, I guess, is just seeing, you know, if guys are healthy, you know, mainly you, know, you want to see Beckham – uh, what Beckham could do this week, if anything, if they're going to just be cautious with him. Uh, ditto for Cruz. You know, hope to get an update on on whether he'll be, you know, you know pr- any closer to, to returning than he is right now. Um, but other than that, you just kind of want to see how the the rotations stack up. You know, especially on the defensive line. Uh, you know, Steve Spagnuolo mixed, mixed and matched a lot of guys in the practices we were able to watch uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, now 
Demontre Moore will hopefully be healthier. Maybe will he get a, a you know a longer look with Jason Pierre-Paul? Um, possibly not showing up to to minicamp this week. We're not we're not sure yet. We won't be sure until tomorrow. Um, and then you know on the offensive side, I'm really looking to see how the offensive line, the starting line, shakes out. I mean. You know, they, they, we saw some interesting combinations with Pugh inside a guard and Marshall Newhouse a tackle. Um, are those is that combination going to stick? Are we going to see some you know Jeff Schwartz maybe working at at right tackle? Some uh, some of the younger guys that we haven't heard much from yet. Jordan, how about you? What are you looking for here? What's you know kind of how you're feeling going into camp about this Giants team? I mean, what I'm looking for here is you're really trying to decide. How many if Nick, could you hear him? No, I couldn't hear anything. No, I, could, I couldn't either. Uh, he just dropped out. So um, I'm sure he'll probably try to come back in. But all right, so Nick, you know, we know what we're looking for going into this camp. You know what the kind of themes about mini camp and where the Giants are at right now. But let's talk about some, you know, individual players. And so I'll throw out a couple names to you. I have five names of players. And I want to know specifically for these five players what you're looking for when you're kind of gazing out on the field this week and you're watching these guys practice, all right? Sure. Sounds good. Right, first, one, first one, Nick, I, I think this one's probably got to be at the top of the minds of, of most Giants fans right now, just considering they bring him back, they still want him to be a leader on defense, and, you know, we just can't trust him. We haven't been able to trust him to stay healthy really for his whole career, but especially lately. What are you looking for from John Beeson on the field at minicamp? That's a great question. Um, so Beeson is, you know, I mean, the, as you said it, the, the big question that with him has always been health. When he's on the field, he's generally been a pretty productive player, although the last couple of years, even though, you know, I mean, there a lot has been made about how good he was, um, you know, with the Giants when he when he came back, when he uh, was, was signed, you know, kind of early on in the season in, in 2013. Uh, his PFF numbers, which I don't know how much readers put a lot put into stock, you know, put those into stock, but I, I read into them pretty heavily, were not that good. You could see he's starting to – his sideline to sideline speed that kind of was his bread and butter where he could just fly to the ball, he started to slip a little bit. He's showing some signs of age. You know, you don't know how much that toe injury last year is going to rob him of the speed. So that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, just as, as far as, you know, purely on a, on a basics level – um, for Beeson is just can he you know can he kind of show flashes of that you know the, that kind of speed that he used to have um, you know pursuing the ball carrier and then uh, you know the big question with Beeson has always been uh, how good he holds up and how well he holds up in coverage that's never been his strong suit and you know he's what thirty years old now so you know you don't usually that's not something you usually pick up with age so it'll be interesting to see how much. You know, we get to see him in those situations to kind of, you know, put that toe to the test and see if he can, you know, still hold up in that area. Much like John Beeson, Jordan has uh, has departed here. He can't stay healthy, can't stay part of the podcast. Well, maybe we'll get him back. But for now, uh, Nick and I will continue our conversation here. And I'm with you, Nick, when it comes to the PFF numbers and kind of those advanced stats and those people who really just watch every play and break down a certain player. Beeson is not seemingly trending in the right direction, even if you don't look at the health you know, aspect of the whole thing, just his production. So he's a major storyline. The Giants obviously need him uh, to be productive and healthy uh, this year. Now, how about the guy next to him or one of the guys that will be next to him in the linebacking core? I, I feel like if you're looking at players that could take another leap, right, break out for the Giants this year and, and maybe change their trajectory, Devon Kennard has probably got to be part of that list. And, you know, last year we didn't know about him. Now we know he could play a little bit. What are you looking for from him in minicamp this week? 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty bullish on Kennard actually. If there's one if there's one young defensive player that the Giants have that I could think can make a real leap uh, this year, he's he'd be my pick. Um, you know, he showed he didn't get a lot of playing time until later in the season last year. Uh, he had some uh, you know some injury issues. Um, there were a couple veterans playing ahead of him, but once Beeson went down, he was pretty much in the starting lineup for for the second uh, most of the second half of the season, and he showed those pass rushing skills that really could make him a valuable blitzer. And you know Steve Spagnolo likes to bring a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of like, exotic packages, dropping guys, dropping linemen in the coverage, you know, rushing from from that second level, from the linebacker level. So you have to think Kennard's gonna be a big part of that. You know, in limited time he I think I think he had four or five sacks last year. Um, he shows good burst off the edge. He's he's a strong kid. Um, you know, again kind of with Beeson, the question is well, can he can he hold up in, in coverage? Could he, you know, perhaps guard a tight end in a pinch or, you know, or jam a guy at the line if necessary. Uh, we haven't really seen him do that yet. So that'll be kind of what, what to watch with Kennard. But um, just in terms of his pass rushing skills and his, you know, kind of his, his, his run defense, I think he could be a real contributor for the Giants. And he's also, you know, unlike uh, Beeson and, and some of the other linebackers, um, Kennard's got, you know, still got a lot of speed. So, that, you know, that could, that'll probably help in terms of the, Ryan's, the Giants' run defense. Nick, I was going to ask you about some of the, the rookies in particular, but I kind of just want to ask you about the rookie class as a whole. Now, this is a different, this is a different theme now. It's not just, you know, shorts and T-shirts on, even though I'm not really going to put the pads on until we – but this is a, a different level minicamp, it seems like. It's almost a training camp light, and they have to take their practice and you know, show the coaches a little bit more they have been so far. So, in general for the rookie class – you know, what are your thoughts when you watch them at minicamp here? Do you, do you try to look for maybe something other than just speed, agility, size, strength? Do you start to look for the football type of things? Or does that not really come yet until training camp? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely look a little bit more at that towards training camp. But, you know, the thing with rookies is it's not hard. It's hard to, to look really bad in these settings. But it's, all, but it's also it's easy to look good. Because especially, you know, if you're a guy like Jeremy Davis, for instance, the sixth-round pick out of, out of Connecticut, um, you know, he's a guy that he's going to get some reps now with, uh, with Victor Cruz working his way back and then being cautious with Odell Beckham and his hamstrings. So he's going to be a guy that's going to rotate in at, you know, the, the number one and number two receiver positions, maybe even see some time in the slot. So, you know, for him, it's an opportunity you just want to see. Can he, you know, can he run? Can he catch? You know, how's his route running? Is he going to, you know, can he, can he hold up and, and, you know, when he's jammed at the line, things like that. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's not, these aren't contact practices, so you're not going to see necessarily at, at game speed, but you could still glean some things about these guys, especially the lower, the later round guys that you haven't really seen as much, you know, as much tape on. Um, those are the kind of things you look for. And it's similarly for, for a guy like a, like a Michael Thompson, uh, the fifth round pick safety um, you know, you want to see just if can he, you know, can he get his hands on some balls in the secondary? That was kind of the knock on him in college was that he didn't make a lot of plays. So, you know, as a playing the free safety position is can he, you know, can he guard, you know, big tight ends like Larry Donnell? Can he, you know, can he hold up in, in you know, double coverage and, and provide that kind of over the top help that he'll have to playing center field? You know, so you kind of look, you just look at kind of the rudimentary skills for each position and can these guys fill that role? Um, for, you know, for Eric Flowers, he's obviously going to get a chance to start from day one. Um, so for him and for, you know, this Colts true for most offensive linemen, you just want to see that they, 
you know, don't make mistakes. Offensive linemen only really show up on the field when they make mistakes, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, he won't really be tested uh, necessarily if, if Pierre Paul is not there because, you know, you really like to see that, that one-on-one matchup at some point and see how he holds up against the team's top pass rusher. But, you know, they'll throw all their guys at him. You'll get some of, you know, hopefully Robert Ayers, Demontre Moore, um, you know, some some good solid pass rushers. So he'll have to move his feet and show that he can, you know, get those, those blocking skills that we heard all about um, are the real deal. Nick, you mentioned there Jeremy Davis, uh, you know, one of the later round picks for the Giants this past draft, and a wide receiver is going to try to make the team. Last year, we talked so much about Corey Washington, and he had such a great preseason training camp, ended up making the team, didn't have much of an impact, but he made the team. And I almost feel like this year, he's almost now a forgotten man because they brought in some more players. Beckham has emerged, uh, Randall, and obviously Cruz waiting for him to come back. But you talk about the Giants receiving core, he's not mentioned much. How about year two of Corey Washington? Now that all that preseason hype from last year is over, he's just kind of another guy, I think, in the eyes of some fans. But he did have that big summer last year. What are you looking for from him uh, as he tries to stand out once again? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, Washington was a guy that a lot of people thought would get an opportunity at some point last year, especially when Victor Cruz get, went down. You know, they had, they had a pretty big vacancy at, at wide receiver. Obviously, Beckham took care of, you know, a lot of the playmaking load. Um but yeah, Washington was just never really quite able to crack that, you know, that starting lineup. He got, you know, some some spot opportunities at, at receiver last year, but mostly stuck to special teams. But this year you see it in practice. He's, you know, he's making plays. He's a big big kid, 6'4", 6'5", you know, runs pretty well. He's not a burner necessarily, but he's certainly a guy that can get separation. He's got long strides. Um, you know, the kind of kind of guy that picks up speed as he as he goes downfield um and he looks good he's made you know he's 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 catching some good balls from Eli Manning kind of starting to develop that chemistry you can see um and just speaking to him you could sense just a a kind of a renewed confidence you could see he was you, you know even last year I remember talking to him right after Victor Cruz went down and he really thought he was going to get a chance. He was excited. He was kind of raring to go. And then I think he got discouraged a little bit when, um, you know, they went with guys like Preston Parker, you know, so a little, some more veterans um, as opposed to relying on a rookie. But, look, he's got the physical tools. It's a matter of opportunity and, and seizing that opportunity and kind of making, you know, making sure that he solidifies his spot. The wide receiver depth chart's pretty crowded, um, you know, outside of the top three guys, which you figure will be Beckham, Cruz, and Randall. Um Dwayne Harris will probably be a receiver, you know, at least in name, but it remains to be seen how much actual action on offense he sees. And then there's maybe only two more spots. So you figure it's, it's going to be between Jeremy Davis and Corey Washington, um, among other guys, maybe Marcus Harris as well for those last few spots. Um, and it really depends if the Giants go, you know, with five, six, or maybe even seven receivers on the roster. All right, Nate, the last guy I want to ask you about as we head into minicamp here and what you're looking for from him. And it might this question is not just from a football perspective, but maybe as a maturity perspective, a leadership perspective. For my, for my money, they need Justin Pugh this year to go back and, and be a really good player. You know, really take another step in being a really good player. Because I thought he went backwards a little bit last year. And now you have the potential you know, position changes. The Giants try to figure out where they're going to place everyone on their offensive line. So I think he's key because they need him to be good somewhere on their offensive line so they could piece things uh, you know, around him. What are you looking for from Justin Pugh as we now go into his third season and, and obviously one where they look at him with all the injuries on that offensive line and say, you know, we're going to need you here. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I, I completely agree. Uh, Pugh is kind of the X factor on that offensive line. I mean, aside from Flowers, who, 
you know, obviously has, has big shoes to fill and is going to be in a prime position. But, you know, Pew's making the move inside, and, and they're doing that because, you know, that's the, the inside interior offensive line is a big weakness for them right now. Um, you know, the, the, you kind of hit on an interesting point in that he, he took a step back last year. Um, he definitely did as far as, as pass blocking, but what was more discouraging to me um, because he looked really good as a rookie in this regard was his run blocking. And that's, you know, playing that, that left guard spot where he'll have to pull and do some things in the running game that he didn't have to do a tackle. Um, you want to see him kind of pick up in that area. So, you know, be that kind of, that, that kind of road grader along with, uh, with, with Jeff Schwartz possibly on at the other guard spot. Um, and open those holes for for Jennings and and Andre Williams and Shane Vereen. Uh, you know, Pugh had some some well documented documented problems in pass protection. I actually think that will be less of an issue um, for him on the inside. His problem has always been kind of you know he's he's a little bit undersized. He doesn't have as long an ar- long an arms as you like um, for most you know offensive tackles. Um, and his feet are kind of, are, are not is he's not as laterally quick as you would like, so that's less of a problem when you have less you know less ground to cover on the interior offensive line. I'm not as worried um, you know about that, but yeah, if if Pew can you know really solidify their run blocking um, along with Schwartz on the in on in the interior, who's also a very good run blocker, they should they should definitely see you know a spike in their in their rushing offense, provided those backs can stay healthy. We're talking minicamp here. Nick Powell, Joe Gillia on our podcast here. Talk is cheap. And uh, Nick, big story that came out on Monday as we head into camp here. All the reports around JPP. You wrote about it. NFL.com was talking about it. How, you know, he was unsure, might not show up to this minicamp here. And still, at this point, has not signed his tender uh, to be part of this team on that one-year deal. Uh, The Giants, you know, offered him when they had to around February, March. Now, are we starting to think here with JPP that this could be a holdout situation at some point? And beyond that, are we starting to start to maybe think that they're not going to at some point before this season starts, even if he does and you know, shows up and plays the way he usually does, that this isn't going to be a situation where they figure out a long-term deal, that there's a real reality that JPP might just play on this one-year tender, and then we have to do this dance all over again next year? Yeah, I think that's, that reality is becoming increasingly clear. Um, you know, and that's that's unfortunate for the Giants' defense because you know this is a guy seemingly that you'd want to lock up. Twenty six years old, right in his prime, um, by far their best pass rusher, and he's you know had at this point he's had a, a you know pretty decent track record of being that guy that can get you um, double digit sacks, even though he's had some injury issues. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it, it it's an interesting calculus on Pierre Paul's part if he decides not to show up at minicamp because it just doesn't seem to me like the Giants are going to move on a long-term deal. There hasn't been, you know, any solid offers that we know of, um, you know, at least at any time recently in the last month or so. Um, so it doesn't really seem like they're, they're still the two sides are talking or there's ongoing negotiations. It just kind of seems like they're at a standstill, which means that, you know, either Pierre Paul is asking for, you know, too much you know, more money than the Giants like, or the Giants are offering, you know, a long-term deal that's not quite up to, what uh, Jason Pierre-Paul would like. So that, that's pretty much where it stands. Um, you know, it's interesting because usually when a guy holds out, you know, it's, it's because, you know, the, there's been ongoing talks. There's, there's, you know, they're at a standstill. He's not happy with the numbers that have been exchanged. But if the two sides aren't talking, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm kind of confused why there would be a holdout because it just doesn't seem like, you know, a holdout 
either usually ends with some sort of compromise in the form of a of a contract extension. And if that if that doesn't seem to be the direction that the Giants are going with, they seem pretty content to let him play out on this one year deal. Um, you know, prove it, I guess, a little bit more. Um, you know, against the in a, in a season where they hopefully won't be, you know, he won't be racking up sacks against some you know not so great teams at the end of the season. And then, you know, see what happens next year. I, I think you're right. I think they're going to do this dance again, uh, pretty, or at least it's pretty likely. But right now, I guess, you know, the Giants just want to see if, if he shows up at minicamp or if he doesn't show up, will this be an ongoing saga into training camp? It's probably the last thing that they want at this point um, is, you know, an, an off-the-field distraction. You know how much Tom Coughlin loves those. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens the next few weeks. Yeah, that'll be Tom's favorite thing if he has to answer questions from you and Jordan, everyone else covering the Giants this week about where JPP is and uh, if and when he's showing up. That I'm sure he'll be uh, in his usual happy mood, and uh, and you'll tell him what we talked about on the podcast. I'm sure he'll be just thrilled to talk about it. Oh yeah, he'll be pretty, he'll probably come on as a guest to talk about it for all we know. You know, if if he wants to do that, we'll schedule a, a midweek podcast just for that. <laughs> all right, Nick, I got to ask you as we talk about contract situations and potential holdouts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, down in Philadelphia last week, Chip Kelly, who's you know, developing quite a reputation for my way or the highway uh, down there with the Eagles, he cut Evan Mathis, a guy that's been – we were talking about you know, pro football focus a few minutes ago, you know, one of the highest-rated guards in the league for about the last four years, pro bowler, all pro, if you want to use those distinctions. He's a really good player, however you want to cut it. He's now a free agent. Uh, I know you and Jordan were talking last week and writing last week about the Giants possibly being a fit. I mean, uh, do we see that as a possibility? And and then beyond that, just your thoughts on on the Eagles letting him go for nothing last week. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on the on the latter part first. Um, you know, look, Chip is for for better or worse. It, this is his team. He's making. He's had. He has carte blanche clearly to make. You know, as many as 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 many moves as he want, cut cut whoever he wants. You know, no matter how good or or bad they are. Um, I personally disagree with the with the move to to cut Evan Mathis. I think you got a guy who's like who's you know solidified himself as one of you know maybe a top three interior offensive lineman in the NFL right now. He's a, you know an elite run blocker. His talk about PFF numbers. His his numbers are off the charts in that area, and he's pretty he's pretty solid in pass protection too. Um, and for a, for a you know a, a coach that likes to run the ball, it's just an interesting it's an interesting move to to cut your you know probably your best run blocker. And you got a, a running back, DeMarco Murray, who's used to running behind, you know, the elite Cowboys offensive line of the last couple of years. Uh, you wonder how he feels about it. You wonder how, you know, Sam Bradford feels about it, you know, not having a, a veteran blocking in front of him. Um, so I, I just think, look, it's it's Chip's prerogative, and it's you know he's gonna they're gonna live or they're gonna sink or swim with with Chip's decisions, obviously. Um, but you gotta think, you know, is this gonna kind of you know create ripples in the locker room? You know, you already saw some Eagles players I know coming out and, and defending you know the the you know the decision to cut Mathis, but um, you know I think once once the pads are on and and if the Eagles running game is not quite what they think it's gonna be, you know, with Murray in the fold, I think then you know we'll look back in hindsight at the Mathis move as you know not a, not a very smart one. Um, as far as the Giants' interest. Look on paper, it'd be a no-brainer. Um, you know, you could slot you could slot Mathis in at one of the guard spots, move uh, you know Schwartz or Pugh over to right tackle, and and you're pretty much set on the offensive line as far as the starters go. 
Um, plus, as I said, Mathis's strength is run blocking. The Giants had a, a very pedestrian rushing offense last year. Um, you know, a guy like that, a road grader who could pave those lanes, that's yeah, it's pretty ideal. And, and we know Tom Coughlin likes to have a balanced offense. And as good as Eli Manning in the passing game are going to be, you don't want to be a completely one-dimensional team in that respect. Um, the question with Mathis is, you know, how much money is he going to command? That was obviously the reason, uh, much of the reason why the, the Eagles let him go. They just didn't want to pay a 33-year-old offensive lineman. So you wonder if the Giants are going to have the kind of same thought process. Is it worth it with their kind of limited cap space right now? They have about $7 million in cap space but still haven't signed their top two rookies. Um, is it? Are they going to have the necessary funds, first of all, and, and if they do, do is it worth giving Mathis, you know, a, a, a two-year, three-year deal um, for a guy? You know, he had some injury issues last year. Offensive lineman, you know, the, it's 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 a high-impact position, so there's always that concern with with guys that are getting older. Um, the Giants have been kind of risk-averse, so I would just uh, my guess would just be that they're gonna they're gonna take a pass on on Mathis, but that doesn't mean that they should. I guess is where I'll leave it. Yeah, I mean, I think they should have interest too. But like you said, with the age and maybe the cap issues, they they probably aren't the likely scenario where he's going to land. But certainly that would be a double whammy, wouldn't it? Because I'm, we're in agreement. It hurts the Eagles that he's not there anymore. Chip Kelly's um, his belief in his system aside, I feel like the Eagles are a worse football team now than they were last Thursday. And if the Giants happen to be the team that signs him, that would be quite the, you know, the, the net gain for the Giants and net loss for the Eagles in the division. I mean, they lose an all-pro type of guard. The Giants could gain one uh, just because the Eagles you know, let them go last week. Absolutely. No, that, and that, that's a great point. I, I wasn't even thinking in terms of leapfrogging in the division, but, but you're, you're absolutely right. The Giants, look, right now they're probably third in the pecking order in the division. Um, even with the Eagles' offseason tinkering, they still have a good amount of talent, and we know obviously the Cowboys are going to have at least a pretty explosive offense and should be better on defense. So, yeah, you, you, know, you look at these, these kind of windows of opportunities for them to, to kind of get a leg up, um, at least early, you know, early in this juncture of the off season. And, and yeah, you're right. That's, that's a great, that's a great opportunity. Signing a guy like Mathis would really, you know, really give them kind of a, a, a toughness that, that, that I think they've lacked on the offensive line the last couple of years, not necessarily because, you know, the guys are, are, are soft or anything like that, but, um, you know, they've got a lot of, they've had a lot of inexperience, a lot of moving parts. There just hasn't really been an opportunity for these guys to gel, uh, like they want to. So you got, you know, veterans like Schwartz and Mathis who can really help bring along some of the younger guys um, like, you know, Weston Richburg at center and obviously Flowers over at left tackle um, and kind of help them realize their potential, provide, you know, another safety net for them, you know, in case they have some growing pains. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it, uh, like I said, on paper, it's a no brainer, but you know, the, the Giants the Giants do things their way, and, and you know, you got to respect that for better or worse. Well, that, that is for sure. I will wrap with this, Nick, as we uh, get set here, and you and Jordan will be out there at minicamp this week, and, and really we can talk a lot of football over the next few weeks as we head towards training camp. I'll wrap with this because you and I and Jordan, Jordan have talked about the Giants' offense and the potential, and, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about where their wide receiving core lies, and you had a piece, uh, Boomer Esiason, WFAN, and, of course, we know him from uh, CBS, what all the NFL work he does. And before I, you know, we talk about what he said, and he's not one of those uh, you know, talking heads or radio hosts, whatever you want to say, that just says things to say things, especially about football. He's usually you know, very level-headed, and he just gives an honest opinion. Now, he said, and 
And you had a piece about it, the Giants could have a top five offense. And I think he had them ahead of where, in his mind, uh, Peyton Manning and the Broncos could be this coming season. Are you surprised, not just Boomer's comments, but we've seen this elsewhere. A lot of people are very, very high on the Giants offense, despite you know, the offensive line concerns, despite the fact that Cruz isn't 100% healthy yet. Are you surprised how many people, and Boomer being a very high-profile one, think so highly of the Giants offense before we even see them on the field together yet? I'm really glad you asked this question, actually, because, uh, you know, I actually, after I posted that piece, I took, I had to ward off some some angry Giants fans who kind of misinterpreted, uh, you know, my, I guess, kind of uh, hesitance to, to drink the Kool-Aid necessarily about the Giants offense. Um, I mean, first, look, let me say that, do I think they have the potential to be you know, one of the elite offenses in the league? Yes, I do. I, I, I absolutely think if everybody's healthy, um, if, the, if the offensive line comes together like they'd like it to, uh, if the running backs can stay healthy and, and productive, then and, and obviously Eli takes, you know, takes that leap in Ben McAdoo's offense in year two, um, then sure. I mean, they were a top 10 offense last year and they have probably, you know, one of the best playmakers in football in, in Odell Beckham when he's, when he's, uh, you know, back from his hamstring injury, um, with Victor Cruz also is that that's, that's the, you know, that's the big question mark is he, can he regain that explosiveness, um, you know, that, that he showed in his, in his pro bowl seasons, um, I, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical about that. And I think that's, that's part of the reason why I'm hesitant to crown them this early as, you know, a potential top five offense. I just think even with Cruz, even if Cruz has no setbacks and he's practicing and, you know, everything's going swimmingly, it's just a different story when you're, you know, when, when you're between the lines, you know, on the field, um, in, you know, in a game situation, I just think that Cruz, you know, will have some, it'll be a little bit of a ramp up before he can, you know, kind of do the things that he's accustomed to those, those kind of quick cuts and, and creating separation underneath and, uh, and, and getting open for, for Eli Manning. I just don't think it's going to be kind of an instant, you know, I'm back type of deal. Um, and then plus look as, as good as the giants offense was last year, it really was a product of just one player being completely transcendent. Um, and that was, you know, talking about obviously Beckham. Um, and he's not going to sneak up on guys this year. They're going to game plan strictly to take away Beckham. And until guys like Cruz and Ruben Randall prove that they can, you know, take advantage of the single coverage that they'll be in, obviously, because they'll probably double and triple team Beckham a lot. Um, you know, the, the Giants are going to have to adjust to that. And Eli Manning's going to have to adjust to that because Beckham's not going to be as open as much as he used to, as great as he is. And I believe me, I'm, this is no, this, there's no doubting Beckham's ability or, or talent. Um, but look, this is a, this is a copycat league. And if one team figures out how to slow him down even a little bit, and by slowing him down, I'm talking about, you know, not maybe not 150 receiving yards, but, but 80 or 90 then, you know, it's a copycat league and other teams are going to catch on and figure that out. So I guess that's that's part of the reason why I was hesitant in that piece about Boomer, you know, saying as a top five offense. I mean, look, he put him again. He put him up over who Peyton Manning. And I forget who the the, the other was it just Manning. And then he would, the Giants were fourth on that list. I think that's what uh, I think that's what I read in your piece. And I heard a little bit of it. I think it was they were right behind um, the Steelers, right? right. Not, That's right. right. Yeah, they were behind the Steelers and the Colts and uh, and I forget the other Packers, one. maybe. Packers, yeah. Yep, there we go. So, you know, I mean, those are – we're talking about established, you know, 
elite NFL offenses that have, you know, gone deep in the postseason. I mean, Peyton Manning has still got, you know, a pretty, a pretty loaded um, offense in terms of talent. And, you know, so it's all just kind of, these are all on paper calculations right now. You know, everything looks good on paper. Everything looks good this early. Um, but, you know, let's wait until the third week of preseason at least before we can really make any kind of educated, um, you know, opinions about, about where the Giants offense will be. Um, I guess that's kind of my, my overarching point. But uh, that being said, like I said, if everything breaks right, those are a lot of ifs, they absolutely could do that. I, I you know, I think Eli looks very comfortable. He's making good, crisp throws. Uh, his footwork is a lot better than it was at uh, this time last year. So I think, yeah, I think they're they're primed to do it. But you know, they've got to do it. Right. It's amazing as we wrap this uh, episode up. It's amazing, Nick, as just what a difference a year makes. I know you jumped on uh, the Giants beat here for us around uh, September, October last year, but a year ago at this time, maybe not, maybe ten months ago at this time. Uh, last July into August when training camp starts. I mean, the Giants could barely line up in a formation in this new offense. And now, uh, you know, people like Boomer, and we're having this discussion here about could they be one of the top five offenses in the NFL. So I'm with you. They still have to prove it's still a lot to, you know, gel and come together here. But that is quite a difference a year has made here that we could even have that conversation after last year, you know, training camp beginning of the season. They look like one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. And, and look, as we've talked about, as Jordan and, and you and I have talked about, um, you know, this, if, this, if this team is going to be any good this year, if they're really going to make a playoff run, then quite honestly their offense has to be, um, you know, in that top five to ten conversation uh, because we know they're not going to be a defense first team. They're not going to be the kind of team that, you know, holds, holds opponents to, to, you know, ten points or less. They're going to have to put points on the board. And, and you know, we've, we've drawn the parallel to Dallas and kind of how they, you know, had such a successful season and they were a very offense heavy first, the defense doing just enough basically to, to, you know, help them win games. I think that's kind of the formula that they're going for. So uh, yeah, they better hope that they have a, a top 10 or top five offense if they're going to make some noise. And we get to watch it start to come together here with mini camp for the next three days. And then a little time off before training camp. Nick, appreciate this. We'll find Jordan somewhere. He disappeared on us. We'll get him back for next week's podcast. You guys enjoy mini camp. Uh, and we'll catch up to recap what happened here uh, next time on Talk is Cheap, all right? Sounds good. Keep reading, guys. Keep reading. Keep listening. Thank you for listening to Episode 10 of Talk is Cheap on NJ.com.